Welcome to Farming Eternal, an eternal podcast for farmers, hosted by me, Patrick, or Pagamaro, and Hats on Lamps. How's it going, Hats? I'm good. I'm uh, doing fine. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, too. It's episode 62, and for those of you who listen to this show, you'll be wondering where episode 61 is. That's probably coming out next week, which will be our sunset show, which we already recorded but has not been released. But I figured this is a little bit more timely than us yammering on about set eight anymore. But for those of you who don't listen to the show and this is your first time, we are a draft-focused podcast where our goal is to help you and me, mostly me, get better at draft. We get into the nitty-gritty of the drafting process with a little meta-analysis and play tips thrown in. So this week we're going to talk about um, some the new cards that were released. You know, we have this mini format right now that's going to be a week long. We're not really going to spend much time talking about this because it'll be totally irrelevant by the time you're listening to this. So we're going to really mostly just be focusing on the the new cards and sort of the new themes that they seem to be hinting at um, to get us ready for the actual set eight or set nine draft format. So let's begin. So Hats, how was your draft week? Uh, pretty good. I've had a chance to play with the new cards uh, uh, here and there. Um, got a few drafts in over the last couple of days. Uh, I struggled a little bit at first. I think it's natural to struggle when you see new cards to know just which ones are good and playable. Uh, but I managed to battle my way back to rank one right before we recorded this. So uh, I guess that I've got a good enough handle on it uh, for now. Um, yeah, the there's some real weirdness to the to the cards that they released and we'll talk about that some more later but um it made it uh it made it so there were a lot of cards that i wanted to be good that turned out to be very difficult to play and make work so that took some adjustment um yeah uh how's your draft week been my draft week has been near non-existent i i have not drafted this new mini format yet i I did a couple more set, you know, finishing set eight drafts right before the change happened. And they were going pretty okay. Um, So, okay, I guess. I don't really need to talk about them because that's no longer relevant, I think. I guess, unless something really, really cool happened that you wanted to share. No. Cool happened? No, the only thing that happened is having a really good Cambrai aggro deck that totally failed me no oh, three times that's the opposite of cool <laughs> yeah i don't know it's, i this happened i might have said this last week with rocano with rocano aggro decks where you know you have all of these units and then you have all of these pump spells and sometimes you just draw the wrong half of your deck that's what happened to me with this Combre aggro deck i got you know stuck on two power a bunch of times and just like or would draw one unit and five pump spells and be like, oh, well. I think that's a problem with aggro decks in general. Uh, there's a lot of things that have to go... There, there, There's a lot of things that have to go right in the sense that your influence has to be pretty much perfect. You know, you have to... You can't... If you stumble, then you're falling behind your opponent because uh, your card quality on an individual basis probably isn't as good as theirs because aggro cards aren't as good by themselves 
um, as more long-range focused cards. And so your influence has to line up just right. You can't stumble. And then also, you have to have the right ratio of units to like stuff that makes your units better, like weapons and, uh, and pump spells. So, yeah, it feels like you're just sort of walking on a razor's edge when you're playing an aggro deck, even if you've built it well. And then as for the new cards, you know, like I said, I haven't played them, but looking in, it does seem... The set does seem interesting, but I kind of agree with your assessment where a lot of these cards seem to be doing interesting things, but don't necessarily fit with maybe what set eight is trying to do or with maybe what these new draft packs are necessarily trying to do. And so it's it feels like to really understand these cards and the themes they're trying to bring out, we're going to need the full context of the set because there's like a lot of new themes and a, I think a lot of really new ideas to Eternal Draft in these cards. And I'll be interested to see if they they do end up working, but it doesn't seem like these are good cards to try to shoehorn into a draft format. Yeah, uh, that's true for quite a few of them. Uh, I yeah, uh, I I guess uh, I guess it, I guess it would be easiest if we if we talked about like the individual themes and things because like when I try to when I try to say like any sort of generalization about the cards that they released, I immediately think of an exception. Like they just gave us a little taste of a lot of different things, and mm-hmm. almost by definition, uh, doing that giving you a sampler of many different themes means that very few of them were supported adequately. So when you're drafting them, it feels like it's usually better to not even try for synergy and just like just draft the cards that are fine on their own and not worry about um, and not worry about trying to make any of the little the, any of the little intricate things work. Uh, that said, there are some synergies that uh, that work out very well if you can make them work. Um, but it's hard to draft around any any given idea at this point. So I'm hoping to see support for all of these ideas so that it is fun. Because the potential, yeah, is, is there for very much for this to be a fun draft format. But we'll have to see the whole thing because right now it feels very wonky. All right, so we'll just blow through these announcements real quick. And then uh, I think we'll talk about a bunch of cards. Yay. So uh, as always... Um, this show is supported by, we do have a Patreon and we are supported by our patrons. You can find that at patreon.com slash farming eternal for as little as a dollar a month. You get access to our show notes and recording bloopers and you get to hear your name on the show. So as always, thank you to our veteran patrons at Stephen R, Mercurio Blue, Abed Nago, Meagles, Madness, Titus and Blossom, Parmalee, Darth Herman 2, Twin Hex, Cassandreth, Jed the Homerad, Raven Dragon, Esrit0215, Sunblaze, Worked on Sun, and Yistel. Yep. We appreciate all your support and making this show possible. Thank you all so much. And then um, we're going to skip our card of the week because this show is all about, is just one long, one big long card of the week. And then our seven win run breakdown. We will talk about it because we do want to get all of your new lists for this for once set eight comes out, or set, I keep doing that, once set nine comes out. Um, so for those of you who don't know, this is our data collection project where we collect everyone's seven win deck lists. 
And if you'd like to participate, all you have to do is mail us your seven wind deck to farmingeternal at gmail.com or post them to the seven wind channel on our Discord in either exported deck list or any kind of eternal war cry link. And then we put it all in a spreadsheet. Um, we talk about what that's showing us about the meta and we read your name on the show. And as always, thank you to John Holio for actually doing all the work. Thank you, John. <laughs> Thanks, John. So this week, uh, we have a new contributor that is Doc28. Um, and then our veteran contributors are Agent Dynamo, Avgots, Beard Broken, Darth Herman 2, Disc Golf Dan, Full Robot, Handyman, Hats on Lamps, Ip Long No, Cassandrith, Mancio 1982, Mercurial Blue, Nils H, Out on a Limb, Sakarnin, Tempest Dragon King, Titus and Blossom, Invader. So we don't have much to talk about because who cares about SETI anymore, right? Am I right? The information is is no longer useful to us. Exactly. We can we're learn nothing. <laughs> we are full and we're done with SETI. <laughs> we're done. Which you will know. find out next week just how done Hats on Lamps is with Set 8. <laughs> I'm, I'm releasing a lot of emotions right now that don't make any sense. If you haven't listened to episode 61, which you won't be able to do apparently until you listen to this one. So you're going to experience my emotional journey backwards. Yeah. It's fine. It's fine. Everyone's fine. All right. So on to the main topic, which we'll be talking about. The set nine cards. <laughs> it turns out, <laughs> seems like Hats didn't get it all out last week. <laughs> no, apparently I'm not okay at all. <laughs> really, really got a really complicated relationship with set eight at this point. Oh boy, hope I can make a clean break. I know it's it's it turned into like a long term relationship that you just need to. It really did. I've never, I've never felt so codependent with a set of digital playing cards. Uh, and <laughs> I, it's I all for you. Dream about Waystone Gate. Dream about Waystone Gate. It's all for you. It's all for you. It's all for your entertainment. Let's get um, to it. All right. So this new set. Uh, the first thing I thought we could do is kind of go over the new keywords mechanics, as well as a couple uh, returning mechanics that it seems like they want to highlight in the set. And just to be clear, we've seen uh, and played with uh, about 60 or so of these cards total. So everything that I, I say about any of these is my experience with just a handful of commons and uncommons. Yep. And everything I say about these cards is based on me reading them in the last day or so. Indeed. So first off is Plunder which is a keyword, and it's a summon ability. So when you play a unit with Plunder, you can choose a card in your hand to discard. And if it is a power card, it turns into a treasure. And if it is a non-power card, then it turns into a sigil of that card's influence type. And if it is a dual or triple faction, it has an even chance to turn into any of its influence type. Yes. Um, and I, just one correction is that you don't discard the card. It transforms. Oh. So it wouldn't activate discard effects. 
Okay. Uh, but presumably it would activate transform effects if there if there are any. Okay, yeah. So it transforms it. Sorry about that. That's okay. Um, and then, as a reminder, treasure is a two-cost spell that allows you to draw a card. Yeah. Um, so this is obviously a pretty good effect for limited um, because it sort of solves two problems at once. Power screw. If you're power screwed, uh, you can plunder one of your expensive cards and turn it into a sigil. And if you are power flooded, you can transform one of your sigils into a draw spell. Um, so I've played with these cards a little bit. Uh, most notably, every faction except Shadow got a one-drop unit that has uh, the plunder ability. And it does play well, but you also the card that you're playing um, should probably have some board impact as well. For example, the, uh, the Shifting Illusion is a one-primal, one-one with flying, and it has plunder. Um, and that's like it makes it so that it's a pretty good top deck. You can turn a sigil in your that's been sitting in your hand into a treasure trove. It's okay on turn one, uh, to, and it makes sure that you're going to be able to play on curve. But it is still a card in your deck that is a one-one for one with flying, which normally you wouldn't play. Uh, so there is a real cost to using one of the cards in your uh, one of the one of your forty-five card slots. On a, on, a, on a card like that. Uh, so maybe sometimes it's right. I don't know. Uh, I, I've, I don't think Plunder is so powerful an effect that you want to be playing unplayable cards just for that effect, unless you can get some more use out of them. I agree. It's, it's kind of a, a weird thing. Because it does seem like they put Plunder, I think, ex expectedly, they, all the ones we've seen have been low-cost units. Pretty much. I don't think there's anything with a higher cost than two that has plunder. Um, so uh, presumably they'll put other. Yeah, that's. I, I just I just looked it up. They there's only nine cards with plunder on the new cards that they printed, and um, nothing costs more than two. And all uh, there's one spell, uh, Beseech the Throne. It costs two. Uh, it's factionless, and you draw a card and then plunder. Um, but everything else is a fairly small unit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I I still have trouble evaluating this mechanic, especially on a card as low impact as Shifting Illusion, because like late game, I don't know. Even if you're turning a power into a treasure trove. That still means you're spending three power to play like a one one flyer that draws a card. Yeah. And there's a real the having to transform one of the cards in your hand is a real thing too. Uh, you don't always have the luxury to keep a, a sigil in your hand so that you can transform it later. Sometimes you just need to play them. So I've drawn my plunder cards when I don't want to transform anything in my hand. And then it's just a one one with flying yeah. <laughs> like i'm really sad that i drew this uh, yeah yeah it's hard to evaluate especially with the lower power cards and what's kind of also interesting is it that use there feels a little bit at, at tension with an, another new keyword which is surge yeah um 
And so it's just kind of interesting how these might interact where it's not, you know, it's like, I guess we could talk about Surge right now, um, which Surge is another keyword. And what Surge does is it's very similar to an Empower. Um, so when a unit has Surge, um, every time you gain an influence, the Surge effect on the card triggers. So an example is Flameheart Patroller, which is two fire, one three, surge, plus two attack this turn. So when you gain an influence, it gets plus two attack, so it becomes a three three. Um, so if you play like a fire sigil, that gains you a fire influence. But if you play like a banner, which gains you a fire and a time, or a praxis banner, for example, which gains you a fire and a time influence, you trigger surge twice, so it would become a 5-3. Or if you play a power and play an influence-fixing stranger, you've now gained three influence, and so it becomes a 7-3. Yeah. Um, and I've been attacked a few times in this format already by a Flameheart Patroller on turn three, attacking as a 7-3, <laughs> like their two drop. So uh, that's... That's pretty good, and I really hope they take out the influence strangers uh, when in the in the draft format that's coming, <laughs> so that doesn't happen so often because it's super it's super not fun. Yes, but what this does mean is these like late game power cards can have meaning to your deck, and so you don't you might not necessarily always want to plunder them away. That's true. Yeah, similar to empower that way. Yeah. Um, so what do you think about Surge as a mechanic? Surge, Surge is interesting for Limited, too. Um, it feels a lot like Empower uh, most of the time. We'll have to see if there's any more cards that just generate influence without generating power. Uh, they only printed, I think, one card uh, of the new cards uh, that... Uh, that can repeatedly generate influence. That's the uh, the badge of honor. Is uh, it's a two justice, uh, one three weapon, and when the wielder attacks, you gain one justice influence. Um, yeah. So that's obviously really terrific with surge because often you can activate it twice by playing a sigil and then also attacking with the badge of honor. Makes it hard to block anyway because giving something one three makes it hard to block and kill in combat. Um, so. If there's more cards like that uh, in the final set, then I think Surge will be pretty interesting to draft. Otherwise, it just means that you want to play a lot of sigils in your in your deck. Like you might look if you have a Surge deck, then you might want to play more sigils than you otherwise would because you want to get continue to get value out of your units that use Surge. Um, that's a that's a that's a little tip, I guess. <laughs> we'll see if that's actually a real thing. Because um, normally you don't want to play more power than you absolutely have to. Uh, you want to play as many cards that do things as you can. But if your power does things, and if you've got enough things that activate off Surge, then maybe the right thing to do will be to play Sigils so that your units are relevant on every single turn. Except for one card, all of the Surge cards that we that I've had a chance to play with so far uh increased unit stats like they increase their strength most of the time uh there's a there's a unit that increases all of your unit strength every time you surge 
There's the Chain Whip Bludgeoner, which is a 2 2 for 2 injustice uh, that gets plus 1 plus 1. Uh, I'm hoping that Surge has more applications than just increasing stats because uh, it makes it feel like a very attack heavy power uh, or attack heavy mechanic. Um, and it's a little bit one note. So y- yes, I want to I, see I want to see something more interesting out of it. Yeah, I kind of wonder if Surge um, is more heavily in in like the Rakano colors, which it seems to be because I mean to, the two of the Surge cards we have are are there's a fire, there's a Justice one. There's probably a couple of theirs. There's the Badge of Honor, which gives repeated justice influence. There is another fire card, the Red Mask Warrior, which is a three fire, four one with decay. And then an ultimate, when you play a spell with cost five or more, you gain three fire influence. So fire also seems like it cares a lot about having a lot of fire influence, which plays well into Surge. So yeah. Yeah, I, I think it may very well just be envisioned as a very aggressive ability. Um, but Empower ha- was more interesting than that in some cases. Uh, you know, Empower sometimes it was mostly a stat booster, but there were, uh, the, you know, there was, you know, time could draw cards off of Empower, and I don't know, there was there were a few. Yeah, there was you could stun units off of empower. You could stun units off of empower. Yeah, I'm hoping yeah. that there's a few more things like that. It may yeah, end up I just think, being an aggressive ability, and that's fine. Yeah, and I, I think the one thing to keep in mind, and this goes both ways, is because surge is easier to trigger than empower is, yes. because it triggers every time you you would empower, but also there's a lot of cards that gain influence, and there's like we were talking about with the banners and stuff, there's ways to gain multiple influence with single cards. And so I do think you don't want to just think about surges in power um, because it can be more explosive than that, but also because it can be more explosive than that, Direwolf maybe had to be a little more delicate with its usage. Yeah, I mean, you would think that they would be, but from the units that I've had a chance to play with, they were not at all. Yeah. The units that I've played with are super powerful. Some of the best units, some of the best cards that they put in the preview. Flame Heart Patroller, the 1-3 that gets plus 2 strength, is great. Chain Whip Bludgeoner is great. Um, the 2-2 the that gets plus 1, plus 1. Might Weaver, which is the uncommon, uh, it's 2-2... Uh, with uh it's a two two for three fire and your units with five strength or more deal double damage um that's just the static ability that it has all the time and then its surge uh is that it gets plus one attack uh this turn um it's its surge isn't all that powerful but its static ability is great and then if you can surge three times in one turn suddenly it has double damage itself and it's not that hard to surge three times on a turn occasionally uh so it's i don't know it seems like they went it seems like they want it to be powerful and if there's any more support for it at all in the full set which there almost certainly will be uh then it's going to be a really solid draft strategy yeah i guess i was just thinking about you know like with combat thing that's 
with these like stat bonuses, that's at least sort of self-contained. But like, yeah. if you think about the um, the justice, the five justice three three that stuns the unit when you empower with surge, that would be crazy. Yes. Or like in Arachnidon Egg, you, you know, right. you play that on one, and then you play a power and a stranger, sure. and all of a sudden you got a four four. So I guess yeah. I just mean like they have to be a little. Not that they can't make it powerful, but they have to be a little safer with how they're using it because it could be so easy to trigger, you know, multiple surges. Yeah, it's abusable. I guess they can't make it um, quite as granular as Empower is. It's sort of that, maybe that's the wrong word, but um, like if you're going to be able to stun something every time you Empower, you can't just, there's no way to translate that ability over to Surge because it's already just stunning one unit for each empower. If you stun one unit for each surge, there's almost no unit. You can't like print that ability and have it be okay in draft <laughs> because you're just stunning your opponent's entire board every time, unless you make it an ultimate or something like that. I don't know. Uh, anyway, yeah, there, so it, it, it constrains the n- number of things they can do with surge for the sheer abusability of the, of the, of, uh, of the mechanic. So I guess we'll see what else they have planned for it. Uh, the only non-stat boosting card is the Emerald Crafter, which is for Justice Justice uh, for a 3-3. Three, three. Um, and each time you surge, you increase the Emerald Crafter's Entomb by plus one. And its Entomb is to play a 1-1 one, one Emerald Incarnation unit. Uh, so every time you surge, that unit that it leaves behind gets bigger. And... That's pretty interesting because no matter how much you surge, you're not going to have to face that thing unless you kill the Emerald Crafter. Um, and so most of the time, I've just been ignoring my opponent's <laughs> Emerald Crafters and taking three to the face if it attacks because I don't want to deal with the eight eight or whatever that it's going to leave behind. But that gets real interesting if you somehow manage to do a Justice Sacrifice deck because then you can you can make the incarnation whenever you feel like it. Um, and I'm hoping there's more things like that because that's interesting gameplay. Yes. Yeah, I agree. That seems like it could be a very scary card depending on how much silence is in this format. Yeah. Um, it do- There's already more silence than I would like in the format, so <laughs> presumably there will be answers. Uh, there's, a, there's a card that... Uh, I've gotten play. Uh, there's a card called Forget, which is a very simple card. It's uh, one time for a fast spell. Uh, it says silence an enemy unit, and it has revenge. Uh, I didn't think it was going to be that strong when I first saw it, but it is pretty good. It's a fast speed silence for one, and then it comes back. So your flyers are doomed <laughs> because every time you attack with them if your opponent has one power open they're gonna they're gonna fall on their face uh silence is generally pretty good and then the fact that it happens again makes it feel almost like rectifier like you don't actually get the unit you can't jump block with it but uh the fact that it silences two things is pretty good uh mm-hmm. it's very hard to play any unit uh, that has that that you wouldn't want to get silenced once you know that your opponent has a forget like somewhere in the top ten cards of their deck, because then you're just sort of gambling that they won't draw it. Um, it's 
it's forget is about as annoying to play against as rectifier. <laughs> so okay, that's the that, true. That'll be yeah. We'll we'll talk more about that in a minute. I think. Okay. Um, all right. Then the next mechanic we're going to talk about is decay. This is another new mechanic, and this is this is a battle skill. And so um, units and spells can have it. And so an example is Brightling, which is a four time one three with flying and decay. And what decay means is when a unit or spell has decay, when it does damage, it deals its damage as like a permanent minus one, minus one debuff on the card. Yeah, it's a debuff on the card. Uh, it has a lot of ramifications. It's I don't have a handle on how to play with or against decay yet. Um, it has, it it has a very it has a, a very chilling effect on void recursion. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you, it's very easy to sort of get into a combat with something with decay, um, and then have something that can't be brought back from the void in in any reasonable way. So it's going to have that effect. Um, there's there's uh, there's a five two uh, with in uh, in shadow. Uh, that has a void recursion effect built into it. Uh, that's the uh, murky tentaclesis. I'm going to say tentaclesis. Uh, uh, <laughs> I don't know how to say it properly at all. Um, it's five shadow shadow for a five two with unblockable. And then when you play a card with destiny, you draw it from your void. Uh, it would include anything from your deck with revenge. So that's a pretty neat card. Um, but if you cast the fire spell, uh, which hasn't been released yet, but will be released in the full set, Chemical Rounds, which is just uh, deal two damage for one power. Um, with uh, decay. With decay. Uh, that's it for Murky Tentaclesis. Uh, it's not coming back. Now it's a 3-0 with Unblockable. So it's going to be an interesting... Like anything with any sort of Void Recursion is going to have a tough time in this format, especially with Chemical Rounds at Common. Uh, so I don't know what the ramifications of that are going to be, but uh, Void Recursion is an important part of Limited, you know? It's an important strategy. Um, and so having a having a mechanic in the format that directly is directly counter to any kind of Void, void Recursion uh, will be interesting. You're going to have to sort of preserve your... Uh, you're going to try to have to try not to get into combat with your opponent's Decay units. Um I, anyway, like I said, I have a hard time playing around Decay and like envisioning what the uh, aftermath of a combat is going to be yeah. um, with Decay on the board because I just haven't had to consider permanent damage in Eternal ever before in the same way. Um, it's also a very defensive ability. Like if you have like Brightling is a one three for four with flying and decay. It looks tiny, but then it sort of has the effect of gradually eating away at your incoming army if you can't kill it. So there's going to be a lot of board stalls because of decay units on either side of the board, and I'm not sure that's good. So I'm hoping yeah. that there's a way of playing around that, so we're not just seeing a board stall format. Well, I guess I I wonder again. We need to see like the full context of the set, but like a lot of the decay units are overcosted because yeah. of this ability. And so like even the Brightling, um, you know, that's a four cost one three 
So you're paying quite a premium for the decay ability. You know, we've seen two cost one three flying endurance as a card before, and this is a four cost one three flying. Um, And so like this card, like utterly destroys opponents two twos. But like if your opponent has a three three, I mean, it does trade and turn that into a two two. And that three three into a two two, but you, I don't know, like you still spent a lot of power to do that. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and so that's like one of the questions I have is whether most of the decay will be that overcosted. You know, chemical rounds is sort of an interesting counterpoint because one power to deal two damage with decay is pretty on rate. You know, that's close to a charge. This is not fast. So that is a big difference. But, you know, shrinking a unit by minus two, minus two is still also a pretty powerful effect. Yeah, it is. I would expect this to be one of the premium commons because it doesn't have the problem that char has, which is that it doesn't actually kill a lot of things. Uh, Chemical rounds always at least does some permanent damage. Yes. Yep. And then the trade-off will be you can't surprise. So it will be, you know, you're not likely to kill your opponent's big thing with the chemical rounds because you can't, like, shrink it and then attack in, you know, and have your opponent block, per se, like you could if this was fast. So it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of an interesting trade-off, it not being fast. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how strong it is. But, I, you know, I'm going to go into the into the full format thinking chemical rounds is probably um, a pretty high pick and then and then I'll see if I'm dissuaded from that. Uh, the other thing to remember about decay is that it does shrink relic weapons uh, the same way that it shrinks units because I've had my decay units attacked by my opponent directly with a relic weapon and then uh, often they'll end up with a relic weapon that has no more attack power and they're they're just uh, kind of sitting with it and unable to attack again so if you've got relic weapons, be careful when you're attacking brightlings with them. Oh wow, that's that's really interesting. Yeah, and it's also a way to like if you if you attack it. Sometimes you'll be in a situation, even in limited, where your opponent has managed to rack up a bunch of armor, and then they have a relic weapon, and so it's hard to get rid of it before it's killed several of your units. But another way of getting rid of it uh, now effectively is to attack with decay units and take away its power to attack at all, uh, even if it still has armor left. It'll just be a zero-strength relic weapon. All right, so that'll be, like I said, this this is an interesting mechanic, um, and I think it can go many different ways, especially depending on how they end up costing all the decay units. Yeah. Because right now, like this Breitling that I mentioned, it's a defensive unit, but I don't... At least my current understanding, I would not be excited to spend four power to play a one three, even with as strong of ability as decay. Yeah, I'm currently not ex- not excited about it either. Um, but I've I've seen people playing them quite a bit, and I don't know. So far, it hasn't impressed me. We'll see what else it has to work with later. All right, and then the the next new ability is imbue, um, and when a unit has imbue. When you summon that unit, you can stun one of your own units. And 
that unit will stay stunned as long as the imbue unit is in play. And the imbue unit gets its power and toughness, like plus power plus toughness to itself while that unit is stunned. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's one way of thinking about it is that it turns the, the other unit into a weapon for itself, I guess. Yes, but th- that but that if the imbue unit do- dies, it's like the weapon falls off and becomes a unit again. Yes, you can yeah, you can you can destroy the imbue power by killing the original uh, unit. So yeah, it's interesting. Um, we haven't seen any of those cards yet. They didn't release them in the preview, so I haven't had a chance to play with it. Um, but it seems like potentially a very powerful ability for limited, uh, depending on how many, let's say, undercosted units they play that have some sort of a drawback. If that makes sense, like you would have, I don't know, I don't know how they can do that for a limited though, especially not at common. Um, so I guess we'll see. Like the, the so one of the one of the uh, spoiled uh, units that has imbue is the Mandrake Shambler. And it's a four shadow, four one that can't block, um, and it has imbue. So its entire purpose appears to be to absorb to something very large, attack as a big attacker that is is difficult to deal with, and then, uh, and then you'll get your other unit back once they trade with your huge attacker, and then attack with it. As I'm describing it, it actually seems quite strong. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the thing. Because you imagine a play pattern, right? Yeah. So you, on turn three, you play a 3-3. Three, three. Yes. Turn four, you. I mean, I guess you, you lose the turn four attack with the 3-3 three, because three, you need to stun it, right? I, I, get, I think so, although possibly you can attack with it and then still stun the exhausted unit. I don't see why you couldn't. Uh, yeah, I guess that's true. It's, okay, well, so we, we're we not sure about this. But let's assume you can attack. So you attack with your 3-3. Three, three, you play this. You turn the Mandrake Shambler into a 7-4. Right. You attack with a 7-4 on turn 5. They either trade with it or take 7 or chomp. Yeah. But then when this dies, you get your 3-3 three, three back. Yeah, it seems pretty strong. Um that's why this thing can't block is that it's it's unreal big. Uh, so yeah, it might be it might be a very strong ability. And um, the, the other card that we saw um, with imbue is the cloud snake mount, which is the one primal zero two, and it has flying and imbue, and then a random ability of pay six and exhaust cloud snake mount to deal two damage to an enemy, which is a strong ability, but. This is just, I think, even a one primal zero two with flying and imbue is just a strong card on its own. Yeah, this seems like a, a real windmill slam uncommon to me. Just like, it's hard for me to imagine a situation where you wouldn't want to... I mean, I guess the the main situation where you wouldn't want to make this thing is if you don't have any units on your board. <laughs> um, but... Uh, but yeah, uh, seems super good. Even if you do have to put it on your on the board, it does have that. Uh, it does have that sort of long, uh, that 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 ability to to do two damage later. So 
it's always going to be good. But just putting imbue and flying on any card whatsoever seems very strong. There's always situations where there's... I guess, so this is kind of a counter to what I was saying earlier about decay causing board stalls. Imbue is the counter to that because it's a great way of, of, of making a unit that can attack into a board stall without a whole lot of downside to it because you're basically putting the power of two units together, at, like, like doing a bunch of damage to your opponent's board state and only losing one card in it. Uh, they pretty much have to deal with this new imbued threat, and then uh, you've still got everything else once they've done it. So, so there's the tension between those two things, but I think that's a good tension. Like, there's one thing that's slowing down games and one thing speeding it up. That's good. Yeah, and I think this almost in- interacts positively a little bit with decay because, you know, when you decay this your imbue unit or when your imbue unit gets decayed when it eventually dies your original unit loses sort of all of that decay damage in a sense yeah yeah it never got decayed yeah uh yeah i think so i mean i think it's a i think it's good counterplay to decay anyway imbue is um and that's what i look for in a healthy draft format is a strategies that have legitimate um counterplay inherent in the mechanics of that of that set so i like where this is going so far all right and then the the final keyword that that direwolf wanted to highlight is they were bringing back revenge they said and for those of you who don't know revenge is is on spells and units we've only seen it on spells so far with the previewed cards in set nine but um when you cast a speller unit or when you cast a spell with revenge, um, sort of a copy of that spell gets shuffled into the top t- 10 cards of your deck, except it now has destiny, which means when you draw it, you play it for free and then draw another card. So you, you in a sense, get two spells for the price of one, but that second copy is in your top 10 cards you don't know when it's going to be played right um and so Uh, this is a powerful mechanic but with that um and very similar to warp in that sense but with that i feel like direwolf often overcosts these spells and they end up almost being less effective than you would imagine them to be and I'm thinking, for me specifically, about like set seven. Was it set six or seven where they had that warp theme and you got cards like the owl? That, it was the owl, owl? The 1 1 flyer with warp? For yeah, two? it was two primal yeah. 1 1 flyer with warp. And they do things like that where it just doesn't, even though you warp it, it's powerful. You know, they're so overcosting warp and in this and revenge that it's often doesn't feel worth it to me. Well, the spells that they've shown us so far in the preview with Revenge are not overcosted in my opinion. They're they're some of the best cards that we've seen in this set. Um, hmm. so I talked about I talked about Forget, um, which is all it does is silence something twice, but it does only cost one, so I think it's appropriately costed. And then the other two are strong cards. Midnight Hunt costs three and shadow it has revenge it's a fast spell 
and uh, you give a unit uh, uh, plus strength equal to your shadow influence and quick draw on this turn. That's a good trick. We know that it's a good trick to give things quick draw and uh, an additional strength. Uh, and then it comes back and does it again. It makes it very difficult to block another creature at some point in the future. Um, or just additional damage on a flyer or whatever. Uh, Midnight Hunt seems strong from what I've seen so far. It's pretty brutal when you uh, get blown out by it. And uh, the other one is Grizzly Contest, which is three shadow shadow. Um, it has revenge. It's a fast spell. Sacrifice a unit to kill an enemy unit. Um, what is the... What is the spell that already did that, but slow combust. and it one combust? So it's a combust, um, but fast speed would almost justify it costing three already. And the fact that it does it twice is very strong. Like, this is a this is a card that says kill an enemy unit with revenge on it. <laughs> like, it does it twice. Um, you do have to have fodder to sacrifice. Um, so Yeah, or, and you have to hope that your only unit remaining isn't like a really good unit oh yeah there are restrictions on it you can't just sort of throw it in a, a deck that's going to play a bunch of mid-range size units um without corrupted or anything but the interaction that it has with set eight is that you often have shades sitting around from your corrupted units yeah and uh and then you sacrifice them to just kill an enemy unit outright and it's very very strong so so far they seem to be actually pushing the spells with revenge on them a little bit to at least at least they're playable and limited um and you're happy to have them in your deck so if that continues uh you know that'll be pretty fun because we don't want to see a whole bunch of overcosted spells i'd love spells to be powerful yeah so what do you think about the um the primal one it's like three primal and it plays two one two units with and has revenge. I like it. I, it seems it seems pretty strong to me. Um, that that amount of stats, like sort of two four for for uh, for three power, is already a reasonable rate. Um, it's a total of two two strength and four four uh, four health. And then the fact that it comes back again—that's a lot of value in one card. And then also you're creating units that can be sacrificed for other purposes if you have the sort of deck that wants to do that. So I, I, that's mobilization. I like that card. Yeah. Yeah, I guess you're talking me up on, on this. You know, I think, like, Grizzly Contest looked pretty pretty interesting to me. But, like, the Midnight Hunt just looked slightly overcosted for what it is. But maybe that's just that its usual form is undercosted. Maybe uh, when it gets plus two, plus one, and life steal too. Yeah, yeah, I mean that one was an uncommon, but there was also I. You know the original form is the plus four, plus zero in quick draw for two, and that used to cost one even sure. quick draw or quick. I don't. I forget what it's called. Um, and. Uh, so I'm unprepared with the names of these cards. How much did the one that gave plus two attack and quick draw to two units? How much did that cost? Well, that costs two, but it's also um, it's also a card that transforms once you have five power. So there were some restrictions on that. Oh right, all right. It's so just, it's... that's a that's a that's a depleted power until you reach five, and then it becomes 
um, then it becomes the spell. It's very good. Uh, yeah. It's a terrific card. So, yeah, Midnight Hunt is a little overcosted compared to those cards, but the fact that it has Revenge does make it a little better. And also, um, uh, what I've noticed with these cards that scale with the amount of influence that you have in a specific faction is that that means that a lot of the time, if your deck is built to take advantage of that, they can be absurdly powerful. <laughs> like, uh, Midnight Hunt can give something plus six uh, attack uh, pretty realistically uh, later on in the game. Yeah, just sort of went out of nowhere. Yeah, I guess that's my question with this the revenge stuff is because the revenge part is no longer at fast speed because you just play it at the start of your turn, and so you don't get two surprise attacks with cards like Midnight Hunt. No, you just get a single one. Um, But yeah, no, I think you've talked me into like so far these have been pretty strong. I kind of when I looked at forgot or forget it just looked like card disadvantage because you weren't oh it does know, to ju- it does to me too um and then i played against it and i was like i guess i better start playing this card yeah because <laughs> it's wrecking me in game after game yeah so that'll be this will be interesting you know for me i just am never a fan of revenge because i just don't like how random shuffling into the top 10 cards of your deck is yeah well me just, neither it's it very- just like totally changes the the strength of a card depending on how soon you draw it and i don't like it either it feels any anything that's very swingy like that is um doesn't feel good to me as a limited mechanic and so if they're bringing back revenge that's going to be part of it is is swingy games that uh where your opponent does something with revenge immediately draws it on, on their next turn for a devastating one-two punch yeah uh, and then when you play revenge cards yourself uh, it will be not only the tenth card that you draw, but somehow, like it seems like you'll never draw it. <laughs> it, will, it will feel as though you've drawn ten cards without getting your revenge card, even though that's impossible. Um, but it'll feel that way. You might as well. It might as well not have had revenge if your opponent kills you before you get your card back. Yeah. Not to add to my my uh, my always always unlucky list but that did happen to me in the scion draft mm-hmm. i played a mock doe it died 10 cards later i drew a mock doe it died again and then eight turns later i still had not drawn that mock doe and then yeah. i died and then <laughs> i i checked the i checked the log and it was still two cards down yeah, you you got a shy Mokto. That happens. Yeah, man. So that 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 kind of turns me off to revenge, but we'll see how it plays. Yeah, I mean, there's some less powerful revenge spells that they in the preview too. Like yeah. Re- reflection is a card as a primal card that uh, where both players draw a card. It only costs one. It has revenge. Uh, I don't know how to I don't know how to use that thing. Yeah, that doesn't seem very good unless. No. Unless the spell count matters stuff really is ends up being strong. Yeah, that would be that would be the reason why you would play it. But there I don't think there's enough support to play it in this current format. I'm always happy when my opponent casts a reflection. I'm like, yeah, I got a card. Yeah, and, and I and do think Revenge is like a little less feel bad, sort of weirdly when the spells are slightly less powerful because it makes it slightly less 
wingy because they don't have quite the effect on the yeah. boards. Yeah, so there's we'll, a tension we'll between see. wanting to have a lot of playable cards in draft and wanting those cards to have a more or less consistent effect instead of the swinging effect that these will. Uh, so I guess we'll see. But I do like the card, like the card Murky Tentaclesis uh, activates off of Destiny, which activates off of Revenge. So it will be interesting to draft uh, Revenge cards and then cards that benefit from having Revenge cards in your deck. Because uh, I don't think we've really had that as a strong theme before in limited, so we'll see if that. So we'll see if that's a fun avenue to draft along. Yeah, so I think that leads. That's a good segue into what we're going to talk about next. Is sort of we talked about the the new and returning mechanics, but the other things that we've seen with the revealed cards so far is just a few themes that they seem to be pushing um, in this new set. Um, so the first one we wanted to talk about is sort of influence matters cards and also just sort of tied in with that is just really high influence cost cards or cards that care about having a lot of a certain influence yeah and and so a couple just simple examples there's caravan guard which is a three justice three five and it says caravan guard can't attack unless you have Five justice influence. So this is like the coastal curator of the set, I guess. Yeah, it's similar to that. Although once it gets to attack, it gets to attack for the rest of the game. Um, so there's, it's uh, it's similar to curator in 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 some ways, but um, it also feels. For one thing, it's bigger than curator. Like, mm-hmm. it's a 3-5 three, for 3, whereas Curator is a 4-4 four, four for 4. Um, so it's a similar stat line for one cheaper. Uh, I've had I've had it in my deck, and I've played against it, and it's it's a, it feels like a very strong play on turn 3. Even if you'd like to be attacking with it, it just shuts down everything your opponent's done up until then. Yeah, and what's inter- that's interesting to hear, because if you think it feels like a strong play now, I... You have to imagine there's going to be more support for getting a ton of influence once the full set comes out. Yeah, yeah. So it'll be easier to uh, it'll be easier to uh, to get that five. Um, I imagine that having so many cards where influence matters is going to lead to decks uh, that are very strongly focused on one faction. Um, and, and, and it's difficult to draft that right now because all of the, the, uh, things are kind of spread out over, over the five factions and, uh, like the, you know, there's the two, two strangers that give you two influence in two different factions and those don't really play well, those don't really play that well with cards that want a lot of one faction's influence. Um, but, uh. If you can, if you can draft a, a deck that that really focuses on one faction, maybe with a splash for a second faction, then these card, then cards like Caravan Guard, are are really strong. And I guess uh, once again, there's no way to tell whether that will be an easy or feasible thing to do. Um, but if they do release more cards that can create influence in a specific faction, uh, and we've just really seen a taste of that so far, then 
I, I think it'll be the most sort of monofaction friendly set that Eternals ever had. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking they were going to go with. You know, like we just talked about the Caravan Guardian. There also seems to be a cycle of cards like uh, Hardy Warrior, which is a four primal 2-2. And then it, it gets, it has plus health equal to your primal influence. And there's a few, there's a time one that gains you life equal to your um, your time influence. And so, again, these seem to be, like, hinting at this, like, a monofaction-themed set. But then there's cards like Dark Blade Cut Purse, which is a two-fire-fire 2-2. Two, two. So a, a tough-to-cast 2-2 two, two that has Overwhelm, and then plus attack equal to your shadow influence. Yeah. So this so... card wants you to be heavy fire to play this on two, but also a heavy shadow to be great. Yeah, and there's quite a few cards that have been spoiled. None of them released in the preview, but there's quite a few cards that have been spoiled that re- that that have a pretty good effect. Uh, but sort of a str- like a uh, there's like the protect spell that um, uh, that costs one justice justice I think, and um, uh, it uh, gives a gives one of your units aegis at fast speed. But if you have two primal when you cast it, it also gives your face aegis. And that requires that requires you to be sort of heavily into justice and primal uh, to get the full effect. And I don't know. That's interesting for limited, but it does run, it does run counter to this idea of just like uh, accumulating as much influence in a single faction as possible. So so I don't know. Uh, I once again where we'll be in a situation where maybe there's not enough cards to be able to draft the strategy that you want. Because there's too many ideas in the set, and there's and what you'll end up having to do is just sort of take the generally good cards in the middle, and very rarely have a highly synergistic deck. I hope that's not what we we do, but uh, it, it's certainly a possibility. Yeah, but it will be interesting if it is going to be like highly monofaction, because um, again, not to bring magic into it, but. Um, uh, Throne of Eldraine was a recent magic set, and they it was also trying to sort of be a monofaction set, and it was like monofaction with a splash, and so a lot of the power bases were often... Um, it, well, in magic, you usually play 17 power, so it'd be like 12 and 5, or 13 yeah. and 4 kind of power bases. Um, and so it'd be, it'll be interesting to see like what, what the what kind of decks you're drafting and what factions they are. The, uh, 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 this probably won't apply to, um, to the full set, but my, one, my 7-0 draft, my 1-7-0 draft that I was able to do in this format was, uh, was a 12-6 split between Shadow and Fire, mm-hmm. I, I think, or maybe the other way around. No, other way around. 12-Fire, uh, 6-Shadow. Um, and... That was so that I could play Armed and Dangerous on six pretty consistently. Armed and Dangerous is a is a six cost fire spell. It requires four fire influence, and you put a plus three plus three weapon on each of two units. Uh, it's a pretty strong spell, but it requires four fire influence. So, if you want to do that on six and and keep and make it a tempo play, 
your deck has to have an awful lot of fire sigils because there's not very many other ways of creating fire. Yeah, and that's a that's a this is a good time to bring this up. This does seem to be a cycle. They've released um, you know five commons that are six cost and have four influence. Um, the fire one is armed and dangerous, like you mentioned. The time one is six time time time. Well, I'll stop saying that. It's six and four time influence. And it <laughs> says it's a fast spell. It says put a unit on the bottom of its owner's deck. Uh, the justice one is six and then four justice influence for a four four flying unit that summons gains you four armor. The primal is six and four primal for zero zero flying and then it has plus one plus one for each of your units and then the shadow one is a relic weapon and it's six and four shadow for a zero five and summon plus attack equal to the highest attack among your units yeah uh so i've i've had a chance to play with or against all of these the primal and the shadow ones are are definitely weaker. Uh, although I think they're both still playable, they're just not. You just can't possibly justify their cost, because um, this is uh, this is a case where I think that the uh, like in the full set, if there's a lot of ways of generating influence, then maybe these will make sense. It'll be like, oh, this is my top end for my draft deck, and it totally makes sense because I have all these ways of generating influence in a vacuum. They are costed insanely. <laughs> they, they are like the six cost is appropriate, but the four influence makes no sense. Um, and so, it, yeah, it, I, it, it's a it's a problem with limited cards in general, where you uh, you can't print things that'll just totally warp the format. Um, but uh, like you can't print things that'll totally warp the format because they're too easy to. To, to cast or something. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking here of Reverberating Strike, where it was like, you know, four, four, uh, a four-cost spell that does one to each enemy. And that's an over-costed and awkward spell, but they probably felt like they couldn't make it any cheaper than that because they had a spell damage theme, and if with spell damage it becomes devastating. And so you had this awkward, over-costed spell that because of the existence of other cards can't be a good card on its own and that's what it feels like with these is is they made these cards uh maybe these cards would be too easy to cast if not for all of the other cards that provide influence but in this set because they haven't shown us those cards yet they just seem like awkward weird six drops yeah but even still some of these cards even if they were six cost and one influence they would just be okay to good. Yeah, they'd be fine. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the primal one would be fine. <laughs> it yeah, be I like mean, even the time one, it kills a unit. But we were talking, you know, offline about this. But it's it's not that much better than cut ties. And cut ties was a fine card at six shadow. Yeah, it should be hard for time to have some to have an effect like that that can just kill anything because that's what shadow is supposed to be able to do and so if you're just going to allow time to kill anything now then i kind of feel like it should be hard to cast yeah yeah no i agree but but i guess i just mean like i, I yeah 
but it was just fine in shadow. It's not like time is getting a great shadow ability here. No, it's getting one of shadows weaker kill spells. Um, I mean, it is like putting a unit on the bottom instead of just killing it is very strong in a lot of situations because it deals with things like exalted and void recursion. Yes. Uh, And it's fast speed, you know, it's a powerful spell. Um, but if it cost three time influence instead of four, it would also feel fair. It would feel fair if it cost two time influence. Costing four time influence is super weird. Yeah, I I agree. And then, yeah. So it's just kind of interesting that they have this weird push cycle, or this cycle that's of really hard to cast cards that they're showing us. And so... it. But they're not that strong to me. So it makes it seem like influence must be really easy to get. Yeah, and then that has implications for the game as a whole. Because if you make, if you put a couple of uh, good, if you if you print a couple of good draft cards that create influence so that you can play cards like these in draft, then you can put them in your constructed deck and then you're just producing influence all over the place. And a lot of the restrictions that cards used to have don't mean anything anymore. Yep. And so um, now we'll that will kind of that kind of leads into the the sort of the power cycle of this format. And so we're getting five vows, and these are kind of the allied colors. So it's the colors that are next to each other. So like fire, time, time, justice. Justice Primal, Primal Shadow, and Fire Shadow. Yeah. And I'll read the Felon one. There's the Felon Vow, and you may discard a Primal or Shadow Sigil from your deck to gain an influence of that type and take one damage. So this is a pretty interesting card. So it you only get one influence type from it, but it can either be um, Primal or Shadow, and it thins your deck, so it's kind of like a Seek power in that sense. Yeah, they seem super good in in draft. Uh, the one damage isn't totally irrelevant, but most of the time it's not going to have an effect on who wins the game, and the fact that it comes into play undepleted is is great. Because uh, you don't, uh, that's that's a rare ability for a power card to have is to is to come into play undepleted all the time, and um, and you get a choice of two different influences. Yeah, and what's interesting to me about this card is, even though this is like a a dual a dual faction power card, you only get one influence type, and so. It's not as good for Surge as maybe you would think it was. Yeah, initially. no, it's not. It's not good for Surge, um, but it is. It is sort of like a seek power. You know, it's like a limited seek power. Yeah. So, so yeah, I think they are going to be powerful. Um, again, it'll be interesting. You know, since we don't really know what our influence requirements for our decks will be, just how powerful they'll be. Um, but yeah, it's good to have uh, it's good to have a card like this in sort of the main set, you know, uh, to, to yes. have a, a fixing to have five fixing cards in the main set. That'll be that'll be nice. We didn't really have that in set eight. 
Yeah, they are uncommon, so you won't see them that often, and some, and they'll often be up against some pretty powerful cards. So, uh, so. yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know at what. I mean, that'll be that's the age old question. How early do you take fixing? Um, but I, I, I think I would put these only a little bit below the seats. Yeah. Um, and, and and how powerful I think they'll be, which is still pretty good, you know. Like if there's not another exciting card, then just pick up some fixing, and it'll make the rest of your life easier. Yep. And I like the way uh, these operate a little bit like seek power in the sense that if you're splashing a color and you only ever need, for example, one fire influence, then your vow can go get that fire influence. Um, and if you've already got that fire influence, it can get the other thing. Uh, I don't know. I'm not saying anything profound here. It just, I just sort of like the way it plays. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree. It'll be, it's an interesting power card. Yeah. All right. And then some other themes we wanted to highlight is there seems to be cards that care about units having five attack or more. And so far those all have just been stone scar cards. The, um, the six cross cycle card that we talked about didn't specifically say five attack or more. But that one, for example, also cares about having a lot of attack. But some specifically are like Spirit Weaver, which is two shadow, one three. Your units with five attack or more have lifesteal, summon plunder. Spirit Weaver is awesome. Uh, <laughs> the fact that it has plunder and its, uh, its body is reasonable for its cost is good, but... Uh, when your units, when your units that have five strength have life steal, those are that's a huge swing. So I had a spirit weaver in the same deck with a fear tracker. Uh, fear tracker has an ability where it does three damage to the opponent when it when you summon it, and you gain three life. Um, when it has life steal, it gains another three life <laughs> because that's not a life steal ability to begin with. It you gain then six life. Uh, and you do three damage when when it comes into play. Um, that's neat. And then every time it attacks, it gains you five life. It's a super strong ability. It's better than the one that gives double damage to to units with five attack or more. Um, yeah, because which is... that can get chump blocked. It's just sort of like adding well, your thing that attacks for a lot of damage now does more damage. That's okay uh, if it has overwhelm. It's great. Um, but a lot of times it's not, it doesn't really have any effect on the board. But with lifesteal, like you can just like send your big units into your opponent and you don't have to worry about the crackback because you just gained a million life. It's great. Yes. Yeah, and we've seen a similar card with the one that gives your dragons plus one attack and lifesteal. Exactly. And um, so that's, a, I think, a, a thing we can just evaluate as pretty powerful. And then you mentioned Might Weaver, which uh, we've talked about, which is the three fire, two, two. Your units with five attack or more deal double damage. Surge plus one attack this turn. Yeah, yeah, that's still a good card. Um, I don't. I think it's worse than Spirit Weaver. It's yeah. got a worse body for the cost, and uh, and its ability isn't quite as relevant. But if there's a bunch of big, I mean, if you can give overwhelm to something and then give it double damage, then it's great. So uh, there's going to be decks with Might Weaver that are very, 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 very strong. Did I say strong? I meant strong rather than strong at the end of that sentence. Then there's a, a, a few cards in the set that just cheaply promote this. Uh, one of these is a pretty interesting card to me. This is Towering Arachnid, which is a two-shadow 
5-2, summon, sacrifice a unit to plunder. Yeah. Uh, that's It's a huge stat line for a 2-drop, but you do have to sacrifice a unit, so uh, it'll sacrifice itself if you bring it out on 2 on an empty board. And... Uh, plunder is a good ability, but you do it, you can't just jam a million towering arachnids into your deck because uh, they they don't work well by themselves. <laughs> Not at all. Uh, there's a lot of cute little tricks. Like there's the one drop that uh, that gives quick draw to a unit, mm-hmm. and on turn three you can play a towering arachnid, um, sacrifice sacrifice the your one drop, and then use its corrupted ability to give your towering arachnid quick draw and then you still get the plunder off the towering arachnid now you have a 5-2 with quick draw that's pretty good uh it's a lot of hoops to jump through though and you're it's still a 5-2 which can be killed by a lot of things just uh not while it's attacking so uh there's a lot of cute things you can do with it and i had a deck i won a game where on turn two i played a towering arachnid sacrificed it to itself plundered one of my cards to get the the third sigil that I needed to play a skeletal dragon on turn three, uh, which got the attack bonus from the towering arachnid in my void and came out as a 5-1. I won that game. Um, it was a janky, janky, janky strategy, but it worked. <laughs> <laughs> kind of required my opponent to not do very much for a few turns and also not have a removal for a 5-1 flyer. Uh, but it was it was neat. It was a neat thing to do. I don't know. Yeah, no, that's cool. Yeah. I mean, you're playing some bad cards in that deck, but sometimes you have to do that. Yeah, I played several bad cards together and won game with it. Yeah. All right, so that, that'll be an interesting... You know, this theme seems like something you kind of want to do anyway. So I think this will be probably... Even if it's not well-supported, you'll probably get some incidental benefit it's also not the first time we've seen this exact theme because there was a units with five attack or more matters theme uh i think in set five or possibly six i know there was i know this came (laughs) before there was a thing that mattered so what that means is that in the curated draft packs if they're looking for things that fit this theme they'll have them they can just throw in all the cards that worked with it last time Yep, and there are definitely units in the past that had five attack or more. So, Yeah, for a relatively cheap cost, which is what you want for this. Yeah. All right, so the, another theme uh, revolving around the number five is spells that cost five or more. And this is kind of a new and interesting theme to me. Um, an example card is... Red Mask Warrior, which is a 3-fire 4-1 with Decay. Ultimate, when you play a spell with cost 5 or more, you gain 3 fire influence. There's also um, Ancient Machinist, which is a 2-time 2-1. When you play a spell with cost 5 or more, transform Ancient Machinist into a Sentinel with attack and power equal to that spell's cost. So... This is kind of interesting to me. Uh, one thing of note, again, if you're coming from Magic, uh, units do not count as spells in Eternal, so you this has to be a spell, like yes. a fast spell or a slow spell. Um, so I'm like really interested to see how well this plays because a pretty general, a pretty good rule of thumb 
in Eternal Draft is don't play spells that cost five or more. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This will really turn that on its head. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll be interesting to see if there are enough good spells that cost five or more that you want to play. Yeah. And there, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of interesting possibilities for the curated draft packs with this too, because you can you can print things like eviscerate a five cost spell that kills any unit, or uh, you know disappear, which we were talking about earlier, or armed and dangerous, which is a solid uh, spell that affects the board. Um, the, right now, you can play uh, you can play Nahid's Distillation, which at mm-hmm. its at its discounted price is now five, so it's sort of a side side buff kind of a situation. And I've done that in games where I've played a distillation for five and transformed my two drop, the two one ancient uh, machinist, into a five five in one turn, and my opponent conceded <laughs> because that was not something they wanted to see happen. Uh, so there's it's I I think it's actually one of the most exciting. Uh, themes for me in this format and I don't think every deck is going to be like uh, you know a a, a size of your spells matters deck I don't think that's going to be like a tier one draft strategy but I'm going to kind of love playing the decks that do use that because you get to flip on your head flip on its head the way you normally draft which is cheap spells and units with some punch to them. Instead, it's going to be cheap units and then expensive spells to back them up later, which is not how a, a draft deck normally works, but is an interesting way for a draft deck to operate um, if you can if you can make it happen. So I'm looking forward to that. I hope there's enough support for it so that it's something that we can draft relatively often. Yeah, I'm a little bit more skeptical of of this. You know, one of the problems for me is because this is a mechanic or sort of an, a theme that you need to draw the cards in the right order. And mm-hmm. um, because so far all of these are not like, have you played a spell with cost five or more? But like you have to have that unit down and then play your five cost spell. That's true. And also, you know, there are only so many five or more cost spells that you can play in your deck, at least with how spells that cost five or more are currently constructed. Um, you know, yeah, you, can't play... you don't want to just load up your deck with a bunch of, exp- of expensive spells for sure. You know, and so like the the analogy for me is we've seen the theme of you know highest cost relic a few times, but. The thing I liked about that was you could play your relic and then play the unit that cared about how high cost that relic was, or you could play that unit and then play the relic. And so it wasn't quite as painful to put these like high cost relics in because it didn't really matter when you drew them. Um, and so you needed fewer high cost relics to be able to trigger your cards. Um, which is good when you're trying to play things that cost a lot. Well, they have to be they have to be playable on their own, uh, and that's that's for sure because uh, that's a that is a real that is a real issue with them. Um, and the ones that they've shown us so far, 
uh, range from amazing to kind of iffy. Like the Ancient Machinist is uh, is uh, is a two one for two, which is not great. Um, it definitely uh, definitely feels sometimes like uh, it's hard to build a deck that will consistently be able to make that guy work. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, Rust Machine, which is a three two for three. Uh, with one fire influence um and uh it's a uh its ability is when you play a spell with cost uh five or more play two one one wrestlings uh with decay um that's pretty good making tokens with decay um and also tokens are good because you can sacrifice them and all that sort of thing and also it has an ultimate ability where you pay four power to get plus five power this turn so on your turn four you can ramp up to your five cost spell so that's an uncommon uh it's a complicated card <laughs> um, yeah no that card seems great because it yeah. also it plays blockers for you for when you do nothing spending five power to yeah although i don't think there's going to be very many situations where a five cost spell does nothing like all of them are going to do something <laughs> well no i mean like for example like a Nahid's distillation sure like Nahid's distillation is a lot better when it comes with two chump blockers. It is to not Absolutely. die. But a lot of the spells that they've shown us in the preview do have an effect on the board. Um, like the let's see, uh, armed and dangerous. Like I said, gives you plus gives makes two plus three plus three weapons. Good enough. Reality snap is a six cost time spell that puts two enemy units into the enemy player's hands. Um, that's a huge tempo swing. And it has revenge, so it's going to do it again at a random point. And if that's also activating uh, your your uh, your rust machine and your ancient machinist, then that's a really strong play. It's you do have to draw the cards in the right order for that to work. Absolutely. So it's a risky way of building your deck. Um, yeah, but and it's incredibly powerful if it happens. And then disappear just straight up takes a blocker off the board. Yeah, reality snaps a kind of interesting one for me, especially with this theme because. I guess I view Reality Snap more like you're trying to end the game that turn. Yeah. Which, yeah, and so it having revenge is a little weird because I hope the game is over after you cast it. Sure. Yeah, and then also having some of these like five cross matter cards that I mean the mach- it works well with the machinist because that immediately turns into a six six, which is good. But like a lot of these other ones where you get like a little bit you don't get like immediate board impact or like, you know, who cares if you get two one, one rustlings, if you are trying to win the game or who cares if you get three fire influence, if you're trying to win the game that turn. Yeah. The there's the time uh, approach to this seems to be a praxis ability, right? There's no exceptions to it. So the time units that care about spell size, seem to get big when you cast big spells. Because the Leyline Tracer is the uncommon that we've seen. It's a 3-3 for 4 with uh, Decay. When you play a spell, it gets plus uh, strength plus health this turn equal to the cost of that spell. So it just gets gigantic when you play a big spell. Um, So we've seen Machinist, we've seen Leyline Tracer. Time units get big when you play big spells. Um, But with the the fire spells, uh, the fire units, for some reason, uh, they're much more subtle. The Rust Machine makes tokens. Warrior makes fire influence. So yeah, I will say, having uses. said that, now if you do have like one of these att- surge units also on the board, then um, triggering yeah. 
red mask warrior with uh, uh, the the six cost spell that six cost spell, and then you gain three fire influence, and you're you're now attacking with like a nine three or, or a seven yeah. three and. Yeah, or if you and if you did cast armed and dangerous that way, you added three influence. You did you activated all your all of your surges. You made plus three plus three weapons on two of your units. Uh, it's kind of a lot for your opponent to deal with that turn. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I I I can see. It. I'm just still. I don't know. Like even that the the uncommon time one. You're. I just don't see how many times you're playing five cost spells to get like a ton of value from that card i don't know i mean we'll see yeah Uh, because what your your criticism of it is totally legitimate um but i want to make it work and so i'll try to make it work and we'll see how powerful it is all right uh speaking of things i'm also skeptical about Uh um (laughs) there also seems to be a spell count matters yeah Um, We've seen uh, one primal card so far like this, which is the Terrazon Echo, which is a two primal, one two, Berserk. When Terrazon Echo attacks, it gets plus one, plus one this turn for each spell you have played this turn. And then summon Plunder. This is certainly a lot of abilities stapled together on one card. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) This is a real hodgepodge of a card. Yeah, and it's... Uh, this is an interesting card because this is this wants you to play a lot of cheap spells, um, and this plays well with revenge because, in a sense, because revenge will play the second copy of a spell for free at the beginning of your turn, which Terrazon will will see if it attacks. Yeah, and it's for each spell that you play this turn, not each spell that is in your void. So. Um... So it plays better with revenge than just a bunch of cheap spells would. Uh, like, uh, if I'm not sure how they're gonna. I don't know. I don't know how this is. I don't know how they're gonna support this theme, because cheap spells are usually not uh, good enough to play in draft. You know, like the they're unless unless it's stuff like finest hour where it's overpowered. Yeah, and then that doesn't help this card. Right. It doesn't. It doesn't because it's a fast spell, and so it won't get the bonus because you won't have cast it yet. Yeah, this this card wants you to cast slow speed spells before you attack with it. Cheap so your opponent already spells. knows what? Cheap slow speed spells. Cheap slow speed spells, traditionally not the best spells in the game. So, uh, yeah, it's a weird one. Except that Treasure Trove is one of them, and it makes its own Treasure Trove with the Plunder ability. So that's one spell that you get to cast. To make your Terrazon Echo. And it only costs two. If if your two-cost spell... If your two-cost unit is attacking as a two-three, that's okay. Um, it's not great. <laughs> you really want to be able to, to pump it more than that. I don't know. It feels flimsy. It feels like one of Primal's themes is very flimsy. Yeah, I agree. Like, the best backup that they've shown us so far is Reflection, which we've already talked about. It lets both players draw a card. It's like, I don't want to play that just to make my Terrazon Echo a little bit bigger one turn. Yeah. Yeah, and then, like, another theme that also seems is, like, is in tension with uh, the Terrazon Echo spell count matters theme is 
like a play a card on the enemy turn. Which yeah, those are uh, in direct conflict with each other. Yes, exactly. And uh, we've seen a couple cards, uh, mostly in Xenon, it seems like, that care about this. One is the Sewer Crocodile, which is a three shadow zero six with Decay. Um, and when you play a card on the enemy turn, Sewer Crocodile gets plus one attack. And so this is play a card. So both um, spells and ambush creatures um, will trigger this. Yeah. And we've already seen some powerful fast spells in Xenon, uh, just in the preview cards. Yeah. And at least one ambush card in time that would go with this. So uh, That's really powerful. It's very strong, yeah. Desert Alchemist is a 2-1 with Deadly and Ambush and Plunder for a mere two time. Yeah. Um, real good. So that goes very well with all of this. Um uh, so far, I mean, you know, again, we'll have to just we'll have to see what's in the full set. But that's another fun way to build a draft deck that we don't normally get to do is play most of your cards in your opponent's turn. Yeah, and I'll be really interested to see because uh, one of the time ones they showed is a card that directly supports this in Desperate Courier, which is a one time zero three. Your cards cost one less on the enemy turn and summon plunder. Yeah. Um, you know, like, whether this theme is supported enough that you would want to play this card is... I, I don't know. I would have to have a heck of a lot of cards <laughs> that yeah, I can play on my opponent's turn before I want to play a 0-3 1-drop, even with Plunder. Because Plunder doesn't give you a card that you can play on your opponent's turn. You know, it gives you a treasure trove, maybe. And uh, that you can only be played on, on your turn. So it feels like a card that doesn't really do anything well. Sewer Crocodile seems great, though. The 0-6 with Decay. Because even if you play one card on your enemy's turn, a 1-6 for 3 with Decay is pretty sweet. Yeah, I, I agree. That, uh, that is really hard to attack into. Yeah, like you just never want to attack again once there's a Sewer Crocodile out. <laughs> <laughs> and anything... I mean, uh, maybe Desperate Courier is better than I think because uh, reducing... The cost of cards isn't the worst thing in the world, but um, is it worth a slot in your deck? I don't know about that. Yeah, I, I don't know. This feels like very similar to like Journey Guide, which is yeah the one-time O3 that makes your units cost one cheaper. And you usually play quite a lot of units in your deck, and that always felt very fringely playable. Yes, very fringely. I agree. Um so yeah, so I think that's the main themes that we we wanted to touch on. Um, the other sort of the last uh, cycle of cards that I wanted to talk about is kind of exciting for draft, and it'll be interesting to see how these play out. And those are these are the etchings. So the shadow etching, um, as one example, is one shadow, draw a shadow sigil from your deck, and it's a spell. And if you have four shadow influence, you may exhaust a shadow unit to swap a card from your hand with a shadow card from your market. And so they are bringing the market to uncommon and therefore to draft. Yes. Yeah, it's much more realistic to have a market in your draft deck now. 
And these seem like very good cards by themselves. They replace themselves with a sigil for one power. And we know that that's playable. It's not as strong as Seek Power, uh, obviously, because it only gets Shadow Sigils. Um, but it does uh, contribute to the you know the number of spells that you've cost to cast in the turn. <laughs> sort of thinking like it contributes to that a little bit. That might be relevant. And it contributes to these heavy influence cards that you might want to be trying to cast. It does. Um, um, and having a market is very powerful in draft. Uh, the few times that I've had a chance to just sort of throw my random chaff into my market instead of cutting it from my deck entirely, uh, those tend to be very strong decks. So um, I still don't know how highly to take the etchings at this point. I, I think I'm undervaluing them still a bit. Um, but every time I talk about these cards or think about them, I think, you know, it seems like it should be very, very good. Yeah, um, I have a feeling this these are going to get better once the full set comes out. Yeah. Because I, I think these, in very many ways, really want you to be in a heavy, like, single faction deck. Because, first off, they only draw the sigil that they are so if you have a shadow etching you really want to have a lot of shadow sigils in your deck secondly in order to get the market ability um you need four shadow influence but this doesn't help you with that because you just draw a shadow sigil from your deck with this and you don't get to play that sigil before it checks this thing so you know if you're using this as your market card, this is sort of getting you your fifth Shadow Sigil. Yeah, it's a late-game market card. Um, and then also, you have to exhaust a Shadow unit. Um, so you have to have Shadow units on the board in order to gain a Shadow card from your market. So there's just like a lot of Shadow going on in yeah. order to fully <laughs> utilize this card. It's a it's a lot of hoops to jump through to actually use your market, but also because it's uh, such a low uh, sort of cost, like you're you're, you're just replacing. At the worst case scenario, you're replacing this card with a shadow sigil, which is essentially like playing a depleted shadow sigil. Yes, um, but it's never. But I guess but what my point is, it's never a splash because it's always getting you your second. Yeah, in this world that we're imagining right now, where you tend to have one very strong faction and then maybe support from a second faction, this yeah. always has to be in your main faction because otherwise, why play it? Yeah. Um, unless you're in primal and you want all of the cheap slow speed spells you can get, and then you're just going to play that anyway. The primal, the primal etching. But right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see. You'll see. It'll be it'll be the tier one draft strategy. Is this is the cheap spells matters deck? Um, just play five primal etchings in a turn, and then you you berserk you trigger your berserk. Yeah, your your berserk echo of of whatever Terrazon echo, which by the way does not have the battle skill echo. <sighs> um. Anyway, so yeah, uh, I don't know. I, I, these are very hard card. The etchings are very hard. To for me to evaluate on a sheer power level um, because uh, they're kind of unlike things that we've had before. We've had markets before in draft um, and we've had cards that are cheap cantrips that replace themselves with another card. 
but we haven't had them all in one card, and so it's hard to tell how... It's not hard to imagine putting them in your deck if you have a main color. Um, if your main color can play this, you're probably going to play it. Like, if you're playing mainly shadow, you want to play all of your shadow etchings. But how qu- how high do you take them out of a pack? I don't know how to answer that yet. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, because it's more than just a shadow card. It's like a heavy shadow card. You know what it's I mean? It's a heavy so it's shadow like... card, yeah. So it's yeah. similar so... to these other cards that require a lot of a particular type of influence for them to be uh, very good. But at least you can always play this card and have it be a sigil, whereas some of those other cards you're just not going to be able to cast if you don't accumulate the four influence. So yeah. I don't know. I probably take this over most of those six drops that require four influence. Probably. <laughs> I don't know. You take you take a market card over a medium six cost common. Yeah, I think so. Okay. That's 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 my that's my uh, that's my prediction right now. It may change. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, so I think we pretty much discussed everything we wanted to talk about. Like I said at the beginning, it's, there's a lot of really interesting themes that they're hinting at. Some of those themes, at least at first glance to me, seem like they're in tension with each other. So it's going to be really interesting going forward once we see the full set to see how all of these cards play with each other. I will say this about the mechanics that we've seen. Um, they there's nothing exciting the way something like an ability like shift was, for example, where it's like this is a new this is a totally new vector to play eternal on. You know, like decay is a fairly obvious ability to add to the game. You know, it's like sort of a weak deadly with some advantages, but then maybe some disadvantages. Uh, Influence matters is not a new concept for the game. Uh, things having five strength or costing five, not a new concept. Revenge, not a new ability. You know, a lot of this feels like uh, moderate iterations on stuff that we've seen before. And so, like, I'm not excited for the new draft format to, uh, in the way that I have been in the past to play with an entirely new mechanic. I'm excited by the possibility of decks being set up in a different way than we've gotten used to, but not for like the sheer wonder of being able to play with new mechanics the way that it has been in the past. So I, I'm, I'm always optimistic about a new draft set, but if anyone out there was like, oh, I don't know if, I, uh, if I'm going to be excited about this, I don't blame you, because we haven't seen anything outright exciting. <laughs> yeah. So... Yeah, no, we'll see. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I you know, I think because they showed this late, I will say imbue is kind of interesting. Yeah, imbue is interesting. I agree. Yeah, we haven't had a chance to play with that, but imbue may it has has a lot of potential. For one thing, because there are cards that activate when uh, a unit is stunned, like the like the one drop for justice. Um, is a zero three with flying, and it has plunder, but it has uh, two strength when there's a stunned unit on the battlefield, and there's not a lot of ways to stun your opponent's units, but if you have imbue cards, there's ways to stun your own, and so your one cost 
two three flyer is now pretty good <laughs> yeah um so that's interesting uh so we'll see uh how much support there is for that as well because that's the sort of thing where you don't have to make an entire draft deck around it necessarily um but it could just be really great if you happen to draw those cards together and then you play some pretty good cards like some cards that are pretty good individually and then they're really amazing when they're together which is kind of where you want to be with draft yeah, I, I, I agree. I, none, none of these are like screaming at me as no. super exciting, like, um, like there was in set eight where there were just like some super powerful cards like Waystone Gate or some like super exciting weapons like you just like looked at Shugo Hook Sword and um, Edge of Prophecy and you're like, wow, this is. I want to try to make this work. And, and they then, introduced it, the entire corrupted keyword in set eight, which fundamentally changed like the whole, like not only draft, but kind of eternal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, yeah. But even there were just like, I don't know, some just cool cards. I'm sure that, like we said, we have hardly, we haven't seen the whole set yet. So there's still quite a lot of cards to go, so so there's still there's still room to wow. But I I agree with you. Where I, I I'm excited to see how all of these cards play with each other, but nothing has like necessarily it wowed or excited me yet. Yeah, yeah. We'll see how it looks all together. That's all we can do. Yeah. All right, so I think we're going to end our show there. Um, on that, on that, on that, on that, on that high note, of, we're not excited. Yeah, but we're gonna like keep the only thing the I'm show. excited about is never seeing another Waystone Gate. Oh, I'm super into that. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. That's what everyone said about um, when Set Eight started. They're like, oh, thank gosh, we never have to play against Exalted again. And they were like. All the exalted cards are still in it. Huh? Yep. Maybe they'll reprint Waystone Gate. I don't know. I just, you never know. I think it's time to retire Waystone Gate at least. We'll see if ever, anyone's listening to it. I don't know. That really helps play a lot of influence. It does. That's how I've been using it in this set. <laughs> it's, it's like, oh, I need four influence to play my Disappear. I have a Waystone Gate. <laughs> exactly. I can get three more influence. So as long as they have more ways to uh, kill an 8-8 in the set. Yeah, as long as. All right. So thanks again to all our patrons for making the show a success. And for those of you who are not patrons, a reminder to give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Uh, you can join us in our Discord. There will be a link in the show notes. And finally, thumbs up all of Raven Dragon's Reddit posts and leave a comment. Uh, it really helps get the word out on the show. And don't forget to send in all your 7-win deck lists, especially once set 9 comes out, um, to farmingeternal at gmail.com. And remember to keep on farming. Have a good night. Goodbye. <laughs>